This is the Pfeffer on Power, Accelerating Your Career podcast. I'm Jeffrey Pfeffer, your host, author of the book, Seven Rules of Power. And every other week we have on this podcast some incredible human being who has done interesting things with the material from my class and from the book, Power, to accelerate their career, to build startups, and to do things that make an impact on the world. And today, I am so honored to have with me a good friend who gave me actually a carved rhinoceros in my, in my office, Benjamin Fernandez, who I met when he was a student at Stanford Business School. He comes from Africa. He has an extraordinarily interesting background. He actually has a background in media. I want to begin by asking Benjamin, tell us a little bit about your background and your career prior to arriving at Stanford, and then we'll talk about the startup that you began after you left Stanford. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Great reunion here. Um, so yeah, I, my name is Benjamin. I'm from Tanzania, Dar es Salaam, actually, uh, is the home city where I grew up in. My parents are still there. I have no family in America, no family in England or anywhere else in the world, but I mean, apart from Tanzania is my main family. And uh, that's where I was home for us for me. And so when I was 17, I earned a scholarship opportunity that took me to America for the first time. But even during that time period, I began a career in television. So I used to be a local TV host on local TV from the age of 17 and then got to national TV by the age of 19. So I used to host TV shows and local talk shows in media. And my big break in television was the 2012 Olympics. And then during TV is what got me involved in payments because we're trying to enable people to pay for a TV subscription through mobile money. And so that was my first exposure to payments and mobile payments in Africa. And then shortly after that, the joke I tell my friends is when you don't know what to do with your life, you go to business school. And that's what took me to your class. Yeah, that's great. Um, could you spend just a couple seconds talking more about how you got into television as a teenager? Yeah, so I used to uh, <laughs> I used to play a lot of sports. I wasn't that good with sports, uh, football, or in America they call it soccer. And we'd have like local TV news come and cover when they had probably nothing else to cover. They'd cover and cover it. And like I used to talk a lot. And so my nickname on the field was Radio Benji because I just talk like trash talk the whole game. Like we'd be losing seven, nothing we're like, yo, we're coming back. They got nothing on us. And, um, you know, people found it really intriguing. And so I got approached by one of the managers from the station and said like, Hey, you have a unique ability to keep people's attention. And they're like, you should consider hosting on television. I'm like, nah, that's not me. And they're like, no, you should try it out. And that, that's how my initial journey in television began. Excellent. Thank you so much for talking about that. That's great. So, Benjamin, I now want you to talk about the payment system, which is your startup idea. And my sense is that this payment system comes out of not only your issue of how to pay for the TV, but also out of your kind of goal and mission to help Africa and countries in Africa economically develop. And so explain, number one, what your payment company is called, number two, what it does, and number three, how that integrates into economic development. Yeah, so I started a company called Nala. The website's called nala.com. And what we do is cross-border payments uh, inbound to Africa. So currently we send money from the UK and the US to Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, and Ghana. We'll be adding former countries at the end of this year. And, and so what we try to let do me is, interrupt. Yeah. And the company is spelled Nala, N-A-L-A, correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, short and sweet. And right now, what we're really working on is how to reduce the cost of sending money um, globally to Africa and outbound from Africa to the world. 
Africa is the most expensive region in the world to send money to. It's also the lowest income region in the world. And I don't believe it's fair that the lowest income region in the world should pay the most amount for fees. Um, contextually speaking and factually speaking, in 2018, for example, $48 billion was sent to Africa and $3.3 billion was lost in fees. Um, and like, how do you use technology to reduce the cost of sending money back to Africa and also sending it out for transactions and trade um, is something that we are consistently working on. And, and our mission as an organization is to increase economic opportunity for Africans globally. And so what we use is technology to help to reduce the cost by, you know, cutting out like middle pieces of the payments flow that were making it really expensive and people who are charging ridiculous amounts, cutting them out using technology and software that would connect directly to mobile money wallets, as well as payment wallets on the bank side. Excellent. Thank you. And one more piece of information about your startup, um, about how, and you can use any metrics you want, how old is it and how, and what is its current size? Yeah, so we're a couple of years old um, and uh, we currently, like we've went through a couple of pivots actually. So um, in the last pivot, we're about 45 people, 50 people now, and we'll probably be 100 people by the end of this year and a $100 million plus company um, is where we're at. So one of the reasons why I wanted you on this podcast is that you were a star student in the class. And my sense is that you have used principles from the class, from the class on power and from the books um, to accelerate your career and to, and to really help develop this startup and to really make it as successful as it is and it's becoming, you know, with its reach now into a variety of different countries, et cetera. And so I would love for you to just spend a few minutes talking about what you took out of the class and out of the ideas that you were exposed to that you have found useful in building your startup. Yeah, so for context for audience listeners, when I got to Stanford during the MBA program, I was the youngest student in my class. I was 21 years old. And I was just a little child and I sit in this classroom and there's people who are super talented from all across the world sitting next to me. And I'm asking myself, how in the world did I get into this program? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, when I was at Google five years ago, when I was at Bain, when I was at this company, when I exited my company and I'm sitting there like, yo, I just finished university a year and a half ago. And I'm like sitting in this chair with all these extremely talented people. And so all of a sudden I had this mental imposter syndrome because I'm like, why am I sitting here? And as I'm taking Jeff's class, I'm starting to listen to like what he's teaching about these seven rules of power, about getting out of your own way, like about breaking the rules, about showing up in a powerful fashion, you know, and really trying to think like, like what, does, how, what does this mean for me, right? And, and why can't I be that person, right? Why can't I be that person of influence um, within and try to like learn and understand? And so it started with small things. So, you know, little things that we do at Stanford. So for example, we'd have incredible speakers come to classes. And these are people I used to read about in newspapers, but they'd show up in class. And that day that speaker was showing up in class, I'm from Tanzania, I'd wear this African print shirt. And Jeff, you probably remember those bright African print shirts and like, you know, I'd show up to class with them. And what I'd do after the class is I would go up to the speaker and I'd introduce myself like, I break every protocol. Like there was like, oh, the speaker's going to go to this or the speaker's going to go into their private car that's going to take them back to the airport or whatever. I didn't care. I just walk up and like, hey, by the way, I'm Benjamin. I really like what you spoke about. And I'd give them something that they hadn't mentioned historically. So like, oh, I watched a YouTube video of yours, you know, in 2013 where you said this. And I thought this was really insightful. And like, here's my thoughts about it. As soon as I'd mentioned something like that, that person gave me all their attention. They're like, oh, wow, like you've been following me for a while and it would mean a lot to them. And then what I would do is I'd ask them, hey, can I take a picture with you? 
And so I'll take a picture with my African fashion shirt. And then what I'd do is I'd go to Instagram. I'd post it on Instagram. I'd write about it. Hey, today I just met Evan Spiegel from Snapchat. This is what I learned. Hey, today I just met the Estonian president. This is what I learned. And all of a sudden, my social media following grew from, I think, like three or 4,000 before business school to probably 112,000 the day I graduated from business school two years later because I kept being at this place of people like, okay, why is Benjamin with these people? Like, who is this guy? He's just a random kid from Tanzania, but all of a sudden he's sitting with people that people look up to and read about in newspapers, but he's talking about them and, and associating himself with them. And all of a sudden people started to assume like, I'm at this place of power. I'm at this place of leverage. I'm at this place of unique network that I have access to. Uh, when quite frankly, I was just a student sitting in class, it's like, you know, learning from these people I used to read about, but just making that extra effort of being proactive versus reactive and like really trying to understand. And so um, the class taught me so much, like there were so many different elements of like, you know, you don't ask, you don't get. And really one of the things I really tell my team, for example, today, as I'm building my company, I have like one major role in the company. I say, hey, look, everybody, if you don't take responsibility, you take orders, and I think that's the principle of life. And so for me in the company, as I'm building my organization, that's when I hire somebody new. I'm like, hey, you're responsible for this role. If I have to remind you or teach you like consistently or tell you about stuff, we're a startup. There is no like long onboarding process. It's like jump in and figure it out. You know, uh, you're the expert, not me. Like you should be better at me at doing this, right? And that's how we work towards winning. When we were raising our $10 million round, Jeff, every single investor thought we had like 40, 50 people working at the company. At the time, we had seven. But our metrics were above any single company's metrics in terms of how much the money they've spent and the transaction volume that we were doing. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, like you probably have at least 15 engineers working on this. I'm like, I have three. You probably have a bunch of designers. I'm like, I am the designer. And just really trying to use that as we were growing our organization, like being like scrappy was what led us to raising like a $10 million round with just six, seven people for Africa. Like maybe that in the US is normal, but for Africa, that's unheard of. Raising like a small, like at a seed stage or pre-seed stage, raising 10 million is, in the US it's like left, right and center. But in Africa, the expectation is way higher because of due diligence that goes into it, but our metrics were there. And so I think having those principles from the class that I lay out in our own organization today is a lot of our company values are, are driven by some of the principles from the book, Jeff, and like from some of the principles that you taught us uh, within the class. And so when we have partnerships deals, I'll give you a very specific example. Just today, one of our partnerships people came up to me because, you know, we deal with cross-border payments and we have to negotiate FX deals. And I told them, I'm like, look, I don't care if we're not doing the massive volume that other our competitors are doing. We should get a better deal than our competitors get. And quite frankly, after negotiating for months, we got a better deal than our competitors get with doing like less than their volume. But just because of this relentless, hey, you know, spend time with them, get to know them, get to know what they want, get to know what their needs are, get to know what they care about, and then like build a relationship with them, and then they'll help us out. And that's been something that's carried throughout our business. And we see that culturally as well within the African context. So the two things that I hear you talk about is, first of all, showing up both for you and the people who work with you, but also as your company, to show up with power and to show up as bigger and more important and more prominent and as more successful than you are, because, of course, if you show up that way, you will become successful. And the second thing I heard you talk about is building relationships and networking. You want to talk a little bit more about both of those things? Yeah. So I'll give an example on the relationships one. Like Whoever is listening to this, if you want to start a company, 
the one tip of advice I'd have for you, I mean, apart from talking to the people you're trying to solve for, because you have to build something people need and people are willing to pay for uh, ultimately, right? But the other thing is talk to founders who operate in that industry. I'll give you a very specific example. So when I was a student, I listed out who are the 15 or 20 CEOs I really admire in the fintech space globally, not just in Africa, but globally, like who are out of reach that I will never get to meet. Like I just wrote them down right on a piece of paper. Then I'm like, okay, cool. How do I meet them? And you know what I did is like, I try to find like, or guess their email and I'd write them an email and I'll share one I, I, I should publicly recently. I wrote Jonas, the founder of Monzo. Uh, he's a C2 and co-founder of Monzo. Monzo is one of the largest digital banks in the UK. It's now one of the largest banks in the UK. And I wrote him this message that said something like, hi, Jonas, my name is Benjamin. I, I've been a really big fan of you. I really love what you talked about in this video. And I linked the video on YouTube where you talked about these three principles. Anyway, I'm trying to build Monzo for Africa. And I know this is a long shot, but hey, I can't win a race I haven't started. I'd love to chat with you for 15 minutes. Let me know if you got time. I know you're super busy. He replied me within like two hours. Two weeks later, I'm on a call with the CTO of one of large digital banks in Europe. And when I jumped on the call with him, it's never 15 minutes, always going to be 30 minutes, the first call. And so from that first call, I'd ask him for advice. I'm like, hey, what do you wish you knew when you started? What do you think the industry is going today? If you were to start today, what would you do differently? From that 30 minute conversation, I gained five years of insight in the industry that I care about. And so I'm starting to learn from an expert in the industry that is out of reach, like that everybody's like, you're never going to meet this guy. And then what I start to do is every month, he never asked me to do anything, but I'd send him updates. I'm like, hey, Jonas, I know you told me this. Here's what I've done. And this is what I've learned. And I'd update him every single month. Um, I'd add him to investor updates, even though he wasn't an investor. Now, what happened a year and a half later, when I was going to raise my next round of funding, I emailed him like, oh, by the way, Jonas, before I go and raise, I was curious if you'd want to invest in the company. This guy said yes in a heartbeat. And what does that do for me? It creates leverage because when VCs see that this guy who they trust and has raised hundreds of millions of dollars and they've backed him, is investing in Nala, because they trust him, they trust me because he's investing in Nala. And so all of a sudden, we're raising money from the same investors that Monza raised money for. We're backed by Excel now, we're backed by Y Combinator, with the exact same investors that Monza are backed by. That's one specific example of like, how do you use your network where people that you don't know, who might be out of reach, but where it's not about motivation, it's about discipline, right? Where you can be disciplined as a founder to consistently reach out to them and keep them updated on your progress, where they're at a position like, oh, wow, you know what, Benji's actually been very disciplined. I'd actually like to invest in his company. And then that creates the ultimate leverage because they've seen your discipline over the year. It's not like you're talking nonsense. You're listening to them, you're listening to their advice, and then you're executing on it. And then a year and a half later, they're the ones putting you up or backing you or like investing into your business. So, Benjamin, thank you for that answer. It was a great answer. I mean, it talks about not only the importance of asking, but how you are able to build relationships with senior people so effectively by linking to something that they have done, which is, of course, a smart thing to do. I want to ask you one final question. When you began, you talked about being the youngest person in the class and feeling what many people feel, regardless of their age, imposter syndrome. How did you get over imposter syndrome? What advice would you give to our listeners, many of whom believe that they're unqualified to be where they are, even though they're probably overqualified to be where they are? So my thought on this one is, I don't think anybody's qualified for anything. I think people are just making it up as they go, frankly, right? this is how I look at it. And I think um, there's a music artist I like, his name is Drake, and he says, meeting your idol is like learning how magic works, right? So when I look at life and look at the principles of life, how I think about stuff, the one thing I always think about is knowing you're going to die 
is really powerful. I'm going to die at some point. And okay, what does that do to motivate me to work hard to like want to achieve something, right? When I sat in that classroom with all these extremely talented people, I was like, okay, they're here for a reason, but I guess I'm also here for a reason. And so what, right? Like, so what? They're here for something. And, and what's my so what, right? Like, how do I build or get to that position where I want to win and dominate as well? And so I think what really pushed me, Jeff, is the fact of really understanding, like, I'm going to die at some point. And what am I giving back to the world where I'm working on it for my purpose versus the praise, right? That the praise will come with it later, but like focusing on the purpose of the mission of what you're trying to accomplish as an individual is how I look at it. And I think the most powerful companies in the world, I tell my team, I want us to be like Coca-Cola, where 100 years from today, people talk about the impact we created in the African payment system globally and forever by building the infrastructure we're building on the African continent. And how do we become that lasting organization for that it's by focusing on our mission. And so I think the mission outweighed the fear um, and really honing in on the mission of like what you're trying to achieve as a team, as a company and focusing on that versus getting distracted by like, are you good enough? Are you fast enough? Are you smart enough? And whatever, because you'll never be good enough and on based on whose standard, right? And compared to what? And so I think that was one thing that really helped me individually. The imposter syndrome will always be with you no matter where you go, but it's just like controlling your mental mind, I think is the most powerful thing you can do. And just being careful of what you're exposing yourself to is, is really my tip and advice there. That was a fantastic answer. And I want to thank Benjamin Fernandez, CEO and founder of NALA, this African payment system, which is now spreading all over the world, for sharing your time with us and for talking about the class. It's really a pleasure and privilege to know you. This has been the Pfeffer on Power podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please subscribe to listen to future episodes where we're going to have amazing people talk about how they use power and influence to build their careers and to build companies. And for more information, visit my website at jeffreypfeffer.com. That's Jeffrey, last name is Pfeffer, P-F-E-F-F-E-R.com. And uh, to further your career, check out my latest book, Seven Rules of Power, uh, available through all the regular booksellers. Uh, thank you again, Benjamin Fernandez. This has been an amazing session, and I really very much appreciate your time. Jeff, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure to hang out.